This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Claiming the CEO, written by Samantha Love. A high-stakes cuckolding adventure. Peter has everything. As CEO of a Fortune 100 company, his handsome face routinely graces the cover of Fortune. He dates movie stars and supermodels. From New York to L.A., he's one of America's most eligible bachelors. But Peter has a secret. When he's not releasing the hottest tech gizmo or strategizing the latest acquisition, Peter serves the world-renowned Mistress Lynn. She's pleased with his servitude, but Mistress Lynn wants him to submit to her as more than just a paying client. After they meet in Vegas for an extended session and a business crisis alters their kinky plans, Mistress Lynn seizes the opportunity by taking control of more than just his fetishes. Peter won't surrender easily, though. The proud CEO and the determined mistress will battle in a fierce game of power exchange that can only have one winner. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Claiming the CEO. Chapter 1 Peter Schmidt stared at the Las Vegas skyline and touched his fingers to the glass. Outstretched among the desert clay, a Tetris board of neon lights bent and curled and folded. Juxtaposed under the flickers to drag queens and dragnets, PDA and DEA, prostitutes and clergy, penny slots and baccarat. Fortune swayed below him, a pendulum of chance churning greed and hope and desire. Dureism poised beneath a dubious lady luck. Lifting his hand away from the glass, he stared at the smudge left. He started to close the curtains, wanting to shroud the outside world, but he stopped himself, knowing she would enjoy the view. He went back to the sofa and sat, thinking. The bill had already been settled. One week in a 7,500-square-foot penthouse offering every excess an infinity pool stretching several feet beyond the terrace and into the starless sky. A circular staircase. A library containing books no one would ever read. An old house and pool table. A ready-to-enter jacuzzi. Hmm, everything a man could want. But no one. His solidarity would soon change. Peter lifted the remote and returned it to the table without selecting a button. He folded back the cuffs of his Oxford shirt and fixed his eyes on an abstract painting positioned above the marble fireplace. The arrangements had been finalized months in advance, planned as meticulously as everything else in his life. His business rested in capable hands during his absence, his outlook set to convey his leave. He wasn't married. He had no children. His talent was persuasion and products and knowing that it was the dream to be sold, and never the gadget. He moved to a dimmer along the wall and adjusted the lights, 
leaving only the faint shimmer of the spiral staircase lit in brilliant gold. Beyond the terrace, gray stratus clouds etched the desert sky like cigarette burns. He checked the time and wondered if she would be late before realizing that she was never late. She arrived neither early nor late, because when she arrived was the precise moment she was supposed to arrive. He reminded himself of these simple axioms and waited, recalling her long neck and longer legs and the Chanel number no. five that followed her even stride. A week would be his longest duration in her presence, and she had warned him it would not be without difficulty. While he knew this, such caveats could not contain the idea once it had planted itself in his mind. Over the years, one hour had grown into two. Half days had become overnights, until even a string of days could not sate his need. She knew him well, charted the deep chasms of his psyche, exploring those esoteric desires that no one had supposed of him. She had uncovered nearly every vestige, peeled back the slender layer of his conscious mind. With the agility of a gifted harp player, she plucked at his cerebral until it played to her preferred tune. Following each encounter, he promised himself it would be their last. Firm resolutions were formed with therapists, declarations witnessed before priests. But he would break, and he would call, and she would come. And now he knew there could never be a last time. No coda of sufficient length to arrest his craving. Desire is cancerous. It grows, mutates, forms resistances, and when it must, lies dormant until vulnerabilities arise. He got up and checked the rooms again, scrutinizing the aesthetics, making certain it was to her favor. The Dom Perignon sat half-submerged in a silver bucket filled with fresh ice chips. A linen towel draped over the brim. On the terrace, a jacuzzi held warm, bubbly suds. The top pulled away and tucked neatly out of sight. At the foyer, a vase held four dozen freshly pruned red roses with a personal note he had penned during the flight. Everything set, everything ready. He checked his phone, and he watched it glow, and he watched it return to its former darkened state. As the chimes rang from the carillon, his heart reverberated with it. He rose, but he did not move. The bells blasted again. He ran to the door, the heels of his Salvatore Ferragamo's tapping staccatos across the wooden foyer. AC provided air leapt in and out of his lungs as his eye moved over the peephole. It was not she. He opened the door and pointed at the do not disturb sign, waiting for a justification. Sorry to interrupt you, Mr. Schmidt. The casino GM whispered, but you forgot your card. The Armani-wearing man, hair slicked back like a porcupine, opened his hand and presented the plastic. Peter took it. Please, do not disturb me again. I don't care what the emergency is. If the building catches fire, let me smolder in this suite. Do I make myself clear? The GM nodded and lifted his hands. I won't interrupt you again, Mr. Schmidt, and I'll personally see to it that the staff knows as well. 
Peter wasn't convinced. No phone calls. And no one is to know I'm here. Use an alias if you must. For the number of zeros attached to my bill, you can afford me this simple request. If not, I will find another establishment on the Strip able to honor my needs. No, Mr. Schmidt, you have... You won't have any problems. I'm very sorry to have disturbed you. I will leave you alone. Peter watched him turn and go and descend in the elevator. There were no other rooms in the hall, and accessing his floor required a swipe of a special keycard. The only other room on the floor was accessible by a separate elevator, and there were no adjoining rooms to worry about. His phone rang. He stared at the number. It was she. He listened to the soft ringtone and mentally gathered himself before placing it to his ear. I'm in the lobby, she said. He told her the elevator to use, and when she had found it, he pressed a button on the intercom to grant her access to his floor. There was no more waiting. She ascended toward him. He stood in the hall, swallowing the tension in his throat and wiping the sweat from his palms, waiting for the gold elevator doors at the end of the hall to part. A light flashed above them. A ding sound. The doors opened. The Asian beauty lingered in the cart, leaning against the handrail with features sharp as glass. She smiled at him her lips curling at one edge with an affable yet solemn smirk. She did not wear a leather dress with military boots, nor did she carry a coiled whip in her hand. In the black Oscar de la Renta pencil dress, she could have entered any five-star venue on the strip, sans reservations. In her silver, open-toe Manalo Blahniks, she stepped out. Good to see you, my love she said, sauntering toward him. It's wonderful to see you too, mistress. He took the small designer handbag from her hand. His nostrils drank in her fine perfume as he stared into her almond eyes. She laid a hand on his neck and caressed him. You're stressed, she said. Relax. When she moved her hand to his shoulder and pressed gently, he knew what to do. Lowering himself to his knees, he stared at her smooth feet and the manicured nails poking through the peep toes. He kissed the straps of her heels, and when she lifted them, he ran his tongue along the sole, licking the filth and grime of her travels. His tongue blackened as he cleaned, restoring the shoes to their former store-bought state. He tasted concrete and rubber and other waste he couldn't name, or didn't want to. The coarse grit hung on his tongue. He sat with his mouth open, waiting for her instruction. Swallow it. He closed his mouth produced as much saliva as he could, and did as she had asked of him. He closed his eyes and meditated on her filthy offerings descending his throat. My bags are still in the limo, she said. I trust you'll take care of them? Yes, mistress. He got up and showed her inside, 
As she left the foyer to explore the rest of the suite, he set her purse against the table containing the roses and called the GM. Leave the bags outside the door, Peter told the GM. He returned the receiver and opened his wallet. He took out a 50 and placed it on the floor just outside the door. His mistress returned to retrieve her purse and picked up the note lying beside the bouquet. When she finished reading it, she closed it and dropped it into her purse. He followed her into the living room where she sat on the sectional sofa. Peter kneeled against the floor. I missed you as well, she said, referring to the note's contents. Have you been good during our absence? Yes, mistress. And you followed all of my orders? Yes, mistress. I've remained celibate, and I haven't masturbated in a month. She smiled and folded her legs, drawing the hem of the pencil dress to the top of her thighs. Of course you haven't. Not with that fancy chastity belt I have you in. How long has it been since you've copulated with a woman? You're so good with numbers. Remind me? Peter blushed. Almost three years. Almost three years, she echoed. Stretching, she pulled her legs onto the sofa. My, my. Such a long time for a powerful man to go without sex. And here you are in Vegas, surrounded by beautiful women and high-class escorts. Yet, instead of having a sex-filled week, you're camped out in your hotel suite with me. I'd have it no other way, mistress. She caressed the hair resting at the front of his head. So much power to capture. Peter's knees buckled, already sore from kneeling, he settled his buttocks against his ankles and placed a hand against the floor. You are weak. Have you been neglecting my workout? He grunted, lifting his hand away and rising back onto his knees. Some, mistress. I've been negotiating a large acquisition that has taken nearly every waking moment of my silence. Her voice remained even. And while she was still in her early twenties, almost half his age, her stern tone was enough. Get me a drink. He strained to rise, his face flushing in the process. This week is going to be very tough on you, if you're that out of shape. Don't think I'll be any easier on you. No, mistress. Peter excused himself and left her side. Popping the cork, he poured her a drink. While he was also thirsty, he didn't dare make himself one without explicit permission. And he knew better than to ask. Here you go, mistress, he said, handing her the flute glass while returning to his knees. What brand? Don Perignon, she sighed. Such a banal, predictable choice. I would have expected a bit more out of you. You're always so thoughtful with your bottle selections, picking obscure, rare brands I'm unaccustomed to. Yes, mistress. I'm sorry. I was running late. 
She took a sip and ran her finger along the brim of the glass. Running late. Too busy? Yes. I think it's clear that a month is far too much time between sessions. These binge meetups may satisfy your sexual urges, but you'll never develop into a true submissive. She took another sip and set the glass on the table. She didn't swallow. With her hand, she called him near. He turned on his back and opened his mouth. Her lips parted slightly. The champagne ran along her lips, spilling onto his face. He moved to catch every drop, careful not to let any of her offerings splash against the floor. Everything you eat and drink this week will be at my discretion. You will be dependent upon me for everything. Food, water, rest, warmth, even air. You will not complain, nor will you show any signs of passive aggressiveness. This week is about atonement and deliverance. You will atone for your slavery to self, to material desires, to ego and pride. But most of all, you will atone for depriving me the loins of your power. Only when you have positioned yourself to fully surrender to me will you experience true transcendence from ego and self. He swallowed. The doorbell rang. She sighed more deeply than before and glared down at him. I thought we weren't going to be having any visitors. He jumped to his knees. No, mistress, that must be the luggage. They were probably just letting me know it has arrived. I, I will get it. He wiped the champagne from his mouth and scampered to the front door. He glanced through the peephole and saw the luggage. While the hall was large, there was barely enough room to navigate toward the elevator with all the bags. The scene appeared to him as if some aristocrat or socialite were boarding the maiden voyage of Titanic. He opened the door and began carrying in two Louboutin bags at a time. Peter noticed some of the luggage contained a red ribbon on their handles. He didn't pay much attention to this, figuring the ribbons were for the airport's baggage claim. As he carried the last suitcase inside the master suite, blisters stippled his palms. His arms burned and throbbed. A mixture of champagne and perspiration soaked the top of his Lorenzini dress shirt. He found her out on the terrace, staring at the city. A wave of fiery hues splashed above the horizon and onto the red desert clay. Even the mesa of twisted metal and artificial neon couldn't disturb this natural wonder. Her dark hair fluttered in the high-altitude breeze. With the sun at her face, she stood above the city like a minaret to be kneeled before and worshipped. When he opened the sliding glass door, she did not turn. All done, mistress. His meek voice required him to repeat his statement. She acknowledged his presence with a half-turn of her head before returning to the view. Did you put all of my bags in the bedroom? Yes, mistress. And did you pack them away neatly? He stuttered, No, mistress. I didn't want to go through your personal belongings without permission. She turned. A grin marked her oval face. Clever boy. 
You may have noticed some of the bags have a ribbon tied to them. Those bags contain my personal belongings. You are not to open them. However, you are free to open any bag not containing a ribbon. Let me know when you have completed this task. Also, do be neat about it and don't dawdle. It's seven o'clock and I'm famished. He left her at once, ascending the winding stairs and passing the upper floor hall's stone columns. Avant-garde paintings rushed past him like wild afterthoughts. Two heavy-set doors led to the master suite. He pushed them open. The red carpet and black curtains contrasted against the white duvet and satin pillows. Her luggage flanked the left side of the room with the presence of a military brigade. He set about the task of dividing the luggage between those with and without ribbons so that he wouldn't erroneously open the wrong one. It was their first night together, and he wasn't about to make a flippant mistake this early in the week. In doing this, he noticed the bags with ribbons were noticeably heavier than the ones without them. Like forbidden fruit, they tempted him to pull back their zipper and peek inside. He resisted the urge, knowing that if he truly wanted to submit, he'd have to trust and respect her. If he couldn't follow a simple order of which bags to unpack, he might as well call upon the professional services of other dominatrixes in the city. Plenty of ex-strippers wielding plastic canes were eager to fulfill the masturbatory dreams of a man in love with the fantasy of masochism. But he had exhausted those realms. She was the only woman who could take him to the depth he now required. Peter took a breather after arranging the bags. Laying one against the luggage rack, he drew the zipper back and threw open the top. A potent feminine scent somehow only captured in the woman's lingerie, blew upon him. He stared at the contents. Satin panties, mesh bras, lacy garters, rolled-up stockings. All of it from designer brands. Agent Provocateur, La Perla, Kiki de Montparnasse, Karine Gilson, Gilda and Pearl, Adisari, Chantal Thomas, Berto Cavalli. Peter figured the TSA officer must have blown a load just watching it pass through the x-ray. For a second, he doubted himself and checked the suitcase for a ribbon. There was none. She had intended for him to open this bag, to behold the opulent collection of fine lingerie that other men and women had enjoyed with her. Knowing she would dominate him in such seductive attire made his chastity belt tighten. He reminded himself to hurry. Peter picked out a creamy kimono robe with a floral pattern. Couldn't imagine the price. Only that whatever the costs, the expense had been worth it. He was glad to see his Amex Centurion card going to good use. The drawers quickly filled as he put away the lingerie. He did his best to divide the garments, yet the folding proved taxing. The articles were made from such light and slippery materials that he couldn't get them folded into any recognizable shape. Peter instead focused on the organization over the presentation. After folding her lingerie, he grabbed another suitcase and opened it. The scent contained inside was just as formidable. 
though it was of a far different breed. Filling the entire space of the commodious bag were shoes. Lots and lots of shoes. There were Kate Spade high heels, Prada knee-high boots, Mew Mew glitter-coated kitten heel sandals, Alexander McQueen pumps, and other designer brands Peter had never heard of. There were no clear platform heels or other slutty derivatives sold on bargain racks at sex shops to be scooped up by hapless strippers. Peter could never worship a woman willing to dance on a strobe-lit stage in front of drunk, groping men while donning a micro-bikini. Nor could he find such allure in the all-American beauty who thought Africa was a country. He required an intellectual woman, possessing natural beauty and innate confidence. Paraphrasing the famed Groucho Marx quip, he would never date a woman who would have him for a man. His mistress was not a stripper, an escort, or even an entertainer. If forced to name the service she provided, he would camp it somewhere between behavioral therapist and life coach, a service misunderstood and often met with ambivalence or outright disgust. Psychoanalysts were quick to uncover buried traumas of the past, resolving the unbalanced id and ego. Cognitive therapists employed logic and endless talk therapy, focusing on the conventions of a healthy relationship, seeking to invoke their own sexual normalities by attempting to suppress his fetishes. And the pious casted their flock's bristled judgment. Side note, our protagonist was not abused as a child, nor had he suffered from hidden trauma. His past would fail to reveal any creepy uncles suggesting he change into swimming trunks at every opportunity. On the contrary, Peter had always been popular, blessed with alpha male looks and studious eyes. Good grades came easily to him, and the Ivy League schools all wanted him. His family's wealth and support had allowed him to open his own business in a new, risky industry. He was grateful for these advantages, and somehow... They had not spoiled him. He worked hard, rising early each morning to battle corporate takeovers and merging markets. He dated actresses and supermodels. The city where he resided consistently ranked him as one of the most eligible bachelors. People magazine named him one of the sexiest men alive. He was the very opposite of T.S. Eliot's J. Alfred Prufrock. And yet... He had never identified so closely with a fictional character. Yet the women bored him. So pretentious and vapid they were that he sometimes wondered if they had been manufactured in a Chinese sweatshop alongside a tube of Revlon lipstick. Peter hated himself for thinking in this manner. He knew how it sounded. Spoiled little rich boys, too good for anyone. Knowing this only augmented his confusion and self-loathing. As he held the navy Manolo Blahnik heels, he was ever so grateful to have found her. He brought the heels to his nose, but as he suspected, they had never been worn. He took the pair to the closet, placing them on an empty wooden shoe rack. The racks quickly filled, forcing him to arrange the remaining heels against the floor. They had only planned to be in town for a week, but from the looks of her belongings, she had packed for an underground bunker to wait out Armageddon in style.
He sped through the rest of the suitcases, unpacking everything from mink coats and silk scarves to her pink, triple-bladed Venus razor and lush bath bombs. The last suitcase caused him to pause. Inside, there were no garments or bathroom essentials. Instead, the mark of her hidden interests lay inside. He lifted a leather hood, noting a breath control device attached to the end. His heart raced. There were instruments he had seen before, but ones she had never used on him. Surely she didn't intend for him to open this suitcase. As he checked for a ribbon that he already knew wasn't there, a concerning thought crossed his mind. Maybe one of the ribbons fell off. He debated about what to do. He could go ask her for clarification, but he couldn't stand the thought of already disappointing her. He reminded himself of the simple instructions of the task. Put away the contents of every bag without a ribbon. It didn't require his interpretations. He wasn't certain of the best organization of the BDSM gear. Did ball gags go with nipple clamps, or were they more closely aligned to blindfolds and collars? He did his best to form logical relationships as he emptied the suitcase. A quick glance at his Piaget watch told him to hurry. The task was taking far longer than he suspected it should have. He rushed back and forth between the last suitcase and the closet like a football player running drills. And by the end of it, he was sweating like one. He checked the suitcases, running his hands along the pockets to be certain that he hadn't forgotten anything. In the last one, his hand passed something small and metal. He held it up to the dim light. It was hard to see. The halogen lights were turned down to a, a let's-get-it-on glow. Despite the poor lighting, he knew it was the key to his chastity device. Never before had he held on to the key. Even the markings and grooves were kept a mystery to him. She knew of his wealth and the lengths he could go in order to have the chastity belt removed. Therefore, great measures had been taken to ensure his captivity. No. She didn't have a gold chastity belt crafted or any other cliché convention. The belt was almost entirely steel, with one minor variation. Infused on the interior of the belt was graphene, a material several hundred times stronger than steel, and one he had only been able to acquire thanks to his conglomerate software division. With the full belt design, escape was impossible without the key. But there is no real temptation from this chance discovery. Even though he was still in his submissive infancy, Peter knew that he hadn't gone a month in chastity only to have a quick masturbation session in the bathroom of a Vegas penthouse while his mistress waited downstairs. He placed the key on top of the dresser and left to find her. He didn't have far to go. His eyes, weary but alert, found her sitting on the sectional as he descended the stairs. He paused before the last steps, admiring her smooth legs, the calculated attire she wore, and the symmetry of her face. So exact were her features that they appeared dreamed up by a skilled graphic designer. She blinked and cast her eyes upon him. With predatory stillness, she watched him waiting for Peter to take those last stubborn steps. He took them. Did you put my things away? 
she asked listlessly. Yes, mistress. He took another step before remembering his manners. Thank you for allowing me the privilege. Her flute stood empty. She rattled it in her hand. Allow me to serve you some more champagne. Yes, one more before dinner. Bring it upstairs. I'll be inspecting your work. She stood. Should I expect to find errors? His head shook back and forth several times. No, mistress. No errors. I hope not. She left him. He headed for the bar. The ice chips were melting by now, the bottle swimming among the slosh. Being in her presence compelled his need for a drink, but he resisted the foolish impulse. Carrying the flute, he found her in the bedroom. Everything okay, mistress? With her arms folded, she stood before an empty suitcase. You tell me. A dangerous proposition indeed. Peter carefully constructed his sentence before speaking. I unpacked all of the suitcases except for the ones with ribbons. Did you? The glass shook in his hand. An affirmative answer seemed too aggressive, but he didn't think he could tell her no, either. The seconds passed as his eyes moved between the empty suitcases and her stern face. Well... I believe I followed your instructions as they were set out, mistress. A diplomatic answer, he felt. She flipped over the suitcase. Along one of the wheels was the tiniest ribbon he had ever seen. Then what do you call this? A drop of condensation ran down the glass and onto his hand. But he wanted to stomp his feet and shout about how unfair it was. I gave you simple instructions, yet you still failed. What if your employees knew how incompetent you were, unable to complete a simple task? Imagine what they would think if they could see you right now, standing like a frightened boy in front of a young woman. She approached him and ran her fingers along his crotch, tracing the metal tube with her fingers. Imagine how they would laugh if they knew your cock was locked away. You should be careful shaking hands or passing your subordinates in the hall. It would be so easy for the brush of a limb to accidentally strike your belt. I can't fathom what they would say to themselves. Perhaps they think your cock was in a brace. No matter, it would get around the office quickly. She leaned over his shoulder, speaking directly into his ear. Of course, you wouldn't know if they were. Bosses never know what's said about them when their backs are turned. I bet they're all at the office right now, cracking jokes about you. She kissed him on the cheek and settled a hand against his chest. Just kidding. I'm sure they respect and adore you. Her eyes moved to the key on the dresser. She went to it and picked up the key. I trust this didn't cause you too much temptation. 
No, mistress. Not at all. Good. I'm glad to hear that. True sacrifice and devotion comes from within. When a slave can serve without his chains, he is a true slave. Until then, I'm happy to keep you locked away. However, if you're comfortable with this, I'd like to leave the key here on the dresser for the rest of the week. Consider it a kind of temptation. It will be good for you to learn some inner restraint. His heart fluttered, knowing the mind games her proposal would cause him. Whatever you think will best help my submission. She returned the key to the center of the dresser. Good attitude. I think it will be interesting for you to process the realization that your sexual freedom is so near and out in the open. This will certainly be a week to remember. I have all sorts of interesting games, trials, and tribulations for you to endure. He tried to swallow, but his mouth and throat were too dry. I can't wait, mistress. She smiled. What I can't wait for is dinner. Shall we go out or stay in? We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Claiming the CEO. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.